Hello, and thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Minister John Richard, and this podcast is an account of this week's Bible study. I pray that it blesses and strengthens you in Jesus' name. If you are looking for more of the Word or are searching for the notes that were used in this week's lesson, please feel free to check the links in the description. Enjoy the Bible study and be blessed. Okay, <clears throat> so... Um, where to begin with this? Because this week's lesson is, again, one of those things we just don't really hear enough. But I'll start here. Um, One, I want to thank my mom for prayerfully reading through uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians. Um, Within there, there are some important things for us to know, especially in regards to our lesson. And that's that in order for us to be successful, we really need to cling to the gospel. We need to cling what the Lord is telling us to do. And most importantly, we need to equip ourselves properly. You don't go to war with with a ping pong and a paddle. You don't try to go play basketball wearing skiing gear. And you certainly... Don't try to combat the tactics of the enemy with things that make sense to us physically. So our lesson for this week is love beats temptation. And literally, maybe 30 minutes before we actually started Bible study, uh, I had it as a different uh, title. But as I looked at it and as I just heard the Lord talk to me, it was, well, does this really purvey what I'm trying to say. And I thought about it because the original topic was uh, the law of temptation. And as I pull up our definitions and as, as I read them and as I analyze it, I'm like, oh, okay, I see what you're doing, Father. So our first definition that we'll talk about in there too, it's law itself. And, you know, we we're very accustomed to what our laws are. But what exactly does law mean? Well, if you look on screen, a law is a statement of fact deduced from observation to the effect that a particular natural or scientific phenomenon always occurs if certain conditions are present. It's a generalization based on a fact or event perceived to be recurrent. Now, one beautiful thing I love about word study is that once we understand what a word really means, things start to make a lot more sense. Uh, If we use the original topic real quick, the law of temptation, we know that as fleshly beings, if we do not uh, deny our, our lustful desires that live inside of us, and nail them to the cross with Jesus, and we rise up with the power that he gave us because now we have crucified what we want and we're accepting what he wants. If we don't do that on a daily basis, then we are giving way for temptation to take place. If we allow ourselves to be put in these situations where we put ourselves there or we know what can happen, but we choose to still do it anyway, then we're allowing for temptation to take root in our lives and for us to give way to sin. And we know that when sin is given a chance to to really grow, the only thing it produces is death. So with that law of temptation, 
we know that if we don't change something, then all we're doing is playing insanity because we're begging for the same thing to happen again and again and again. And that's for us to fall the same way. But with the new title that the Lord gave, which is love beats temptation, we know that now we are under the law of love, which has set us free from what this thing wants, from what me, from what JR wants, from what you may want. And it, it just it really puts us on a different playing field because now we're new creatures. Now we're a part of a new team. Now we have a new guidebook or guidelines to, to adhere to. So then we look at our our second definition and our second definition being in nomos, which means it it's legal or we're subject to and it's statutory uh, duly constituted under the law or obedient to the law. And that just further shows that what law we're governed by, we are going to adhere to it, whether we like it or not. When you're free in Christ, you're going to adhere to what the law of love says, which is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind and soul and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And in doing so, in truly loving God, which his love will take root and spread throughout our lives as we start to love one another, as we start to do things not out of personal gain or out of self-worth, but solely to please God because it's the right thing to do. Once that law starts taking place and it shows evidence in our life, then we're showing that we really do belong to God. On the opposite, if we don't really adhere to God, if we kind of half-heartedly do it or if we don't do it at all and just say we do like a lot of people sadly claim to do and show themselves with their the fruit of their lives we're subject to the same old thing I I say I do this with my mouth but my actions show something completely different I'm I'm damning people I'm hurting people I'm causing catastrophe. I'm sowing seeds of discord. I'm hurting myself. I'm doing all these things because I'm adhering to the law of my flesh now. And we can't do that. So before we hop into the word, there is a short little folklore tale I want to read to you guys. And it's going to help make a lot of this make sense, just if you don't have any background with it. And of course, we always prove the Bible with the Bible. So this little folklore says an old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. A fight is going on inside me, he said to the boy. It is a terrible fight and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed, arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. He continued, the other is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, and faith. The same fight is going on inside you and inside every other person too. The grandson thought about it for a minute and then he asked his grandfather, which wolf will win? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. So here's the interesting thing about that, and then we'll hop straight into the word. We know that we came here dead on arrival. We were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. So while this analogy of the two wolves has some validity to it, it's not entirely true. 
See, we come here dead. So we have one wolf, as this analogy shows, and that's the one that that hates us. It's the one that wants to see us fail. It's the one that wants this to do whatever it feels like doing to drag us further and further away from God. But see, here's where the divine intervention takes place. When we hear the word of God, which is the testimony of who Jesus the Christ is, our Lord and Savior, when we hear about that, and it activates that tiny inkling of faith that we all come here with. If we accept it, that Jesus Christ came down in a body just like yours and mine to die for our sins, and we confess that he is the son of God and we repent, we say that we're sorry and admit that we've been wrong, then Jesus takes root inside of us. And now we have an actual deterrent against that wolf that only wants to do wrong in our lives. But see, here's the cool thing about God. Once we know the truth, and we've talked about the truth a lot, it's that you start to realize that, yes, while the Lord is a roaring lion seeking to protect all of his babies, seeking to obliterate the tactics of the enemy that may try to take root in your life, and is seeking to not only empower you with his Holy Spirit, but to help you spread his light to others so that they too can be free. You start to realize that your enemy, though he may act like a wolf, though he may roam around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and to destroy, he's nothing more than this insignificant dog on a leash that can't do anything unless God allows him to do so. So as we hop into the word, keep this in mind. As you continue your journey with the Lord, you do have two opposing sides fighting for for your for dominance in your life. The Lord himself, who wants to be your Lord, who wants to be your father, your guide, your everything. And then there's this this fleshly human condition of ours who wants nothing to do with the Lord and wants you to go back uh, to the cesspool, who wants you to go back and play around in the dirt some more because it it understands dirt. It doesn't understand being clean. So Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 25, and I'll put that on screen. The Bible says, So the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I am doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I am not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of from the body of this death. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, 
but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Now, you've probably heard this before, if you've ever been to church or if you've heard preachers teach anything regarding us and sin or us and temptation. Or if you're new to this and this is your first time, let me point some key things out to you. First of all, it says that there is another power inside of us that's at war for our mind. Well, this isn't the case if you aren't saved just yet because we have no natural deterrence against sin. Everything inside of us is wrong. It's messed up. It wants us to keep messing up, to keep doing wrong. And worst of all, it wants us to justify our actions because we feel good or because someone made us angry or because we needed to relieve some stress or whatever it may be, some sorry excuse that we like to come up with. But see, once we get saved, once we have the Lord of Lords as our king and the one who's now steering us down this path we called life, once we hop on the straight and narrow and we start to measure our lives according to what the word says, we realize that, you know what, I was doing everything, not some things, but everything wrong. The way I said I loved people, was I loving them because it served some self-satisfaction or was I loving them in some idolic way that put them in this God-like state which no one belongs except the Lord Jesus himself? And then we go down and this is where word study comes into play. Paul says, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And more current translations it says who will but see here's the thing about will and shall when we use the word will like this will happen or anything of that uh, that instance we're we're wishfully thinking we want something to happen we're just not sure but see when we use the word shall we're speaking from a context of we know that it's going to happen indefinitely and nothing can stop it meaning that Jesus is literally the only one who can deliver us from us. He's the only one that can deliver us from what Satan would like to do with us, and that's to drag us down to hell with him. But because God is greater than any and everything else in existence, not just because he's God, but because he literally made it all, because of that, we now have a true form of defense against the enemy. And when we talk about temptation, when we talk about wanting to do right, but sometimes we still do wrong, it's simply because of this. It's not that I want to keep doing certain things. It's because I'm still human. And because I'm still human, I'm going to make mistakes. But see, the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person is I'm no longer trying to justify my mistakes. Instead, when I'm aware of what they are, I want to get better. I don't want to stay sick. We talked about this last week, but instead I want to be better than the old me. I want to be better than me today. If God willing, I see tomorrow. And then I want to be better than tomorrow's me the week after. If God is so good to let me see that week, because I can't stay the same. We don't serve a God of stagnation. We serve a God of that's ever moving with his will that is consistently and constantly getting things done. And if we want to keep up, we have to walk with him, not run, not run past him, but walk with him. 
And how do we do that? We flee or we run away from what this thing wants. I run away from some of those thoughts that like, hey, you know what? It's been a good week. Why don't you pull up something and watch it for old time's sake? Uh, no. Uh, you know what? You've had a pretty rough week. Why don't you go grab a few bottles of your favorite alcohol and just guzzle it down? No one will care if you take a nap after. What are the repercussions of that? You know, so when we talk about temptation, there's it's so much more than just obvious things. Maybe you're not being as polite or courteous as you normally should be on this particular day or whatever it may be. But I do know from my own personal experiences that the enemy will use practically anything, if not everything, to try to sway you from the path. But because greater is he that is in us than he that's in this world, we can overcome. Then we take a look at Matthew 26, verses 36 through 41, James chapter 1, verses 12 through 16, and James chapter 4, verse 7. So the Bible says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane, or the garden called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, and he became anguished with, with distress. He told them, My soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give into temptation for the spirit is willing but the body or the flesh, as the King James Version says, is weak. Then in James chapter 1, it says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. I want to say that again. Temptation doesn't come from God, but it comes from our own desires that lurk with inside of us, and they are trying to take us away from God. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. And then James 4 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's one of my favorite things about the Lord. It's that when you study through, when you start reading through the, 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 the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you get to see Jesus from different aspects of his godhood. You get to see Jesus as the the promised king, the one who is coming to deliver the the Jews and of course the entire world. Then you get to see Jesus uh as a good servant in the in the book of Mark. And then from Luke, you get to see Jesus as the one who is literally coming to flip the world upside down. He's shown to be this great and wonderful man and then in the book of John, you get to see him directly from the guise of this is God. I understand what y'all are saying, but this is God. 
We are literally with the Lord himself. I don't know if y'all caught it like I'm catching it, but this is him. This isn't just the promise, but this is he himself. He's right here with us. Please understand what's going on. So in Matthew, especially in verse 39, we get to see the part of Jesus that I don't know people try to forget at some point that although he was God, he was also human. See, the divinity, the divine part of God knows what's up. Look, the time has come. This is what I'm here for. I'm about to go get sold out so that I can be crucified and die so that I can save everyone who was alive, who's alive right now and who will be alive. This is my plan. But then Jesus's humanity is like, oh, this is this is a lot. And how many of us, I'm, I'm going to put my hand up, have those days where, Father, this is just so much. I Do I really have to? But Jesus says one of the most important prayers that we should honestly learn, it's not about what I want. It's about what you desire, Father, because what I want may interfere with the grand scheme of things. I may not want to deal with this certain issue right now, but if I don't deal with it, I may not be prepared for these next steps of life, for these greater things that you promised me would happen if I would just adhere to your word and follow you. Then we get down to the book of James and it talks about how God can't be tempted. And because he can't be tempted, he surely doesn't tempt anyone else to do wrong. Instead, these temptations or the things that still sound and look and may taste and may still feel good to this thing that's coming straight from me. Like earlier this week, I'm I'm just in my bed relaxing. I've gone through a pile of schoolwork. I've been looking over some stuff for Bible study this week. And it's like, yeah, you deserve to just relax. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm chilling, you know. Why don't you look up something? No, why Why would I do that? I, just, just why, you know. And in situations like that, it's like, okay, well, what do I do? Do I stay here and feed into temptation or do I do I just run from it? Well, of course you run from it. Now, there are going to be times where you may not be able to, And I get that as another person. I'm not saying we should ever feed into our sins. Please don't ever think that. What I'm saying is because of the way the Lord works, we have accountability. I'm accountable to him for our relationship. If I don't spend time with my father, then we stay where we were. But if I keep spending time with him, if I keep talking to him, because I know as someone who used to keep stuff in that there are times where we don't want to talk about what's going on. We don't want to talk about what's wrong. But when we put it out there in the light, when we put the truth on the lie, something that we've been talking about for a while now, something that I recently saw again in a, in a shared Lent Bible study that I'm doing with some family members. It's that when we take the truth and we shine it on the lie, then the lie no longer has power. So the lie that I I need to scratch this itch, I need to make my rash spread further. I don't need to do that. Instead, what I need to do is, Father, I really need you right now. 
And we're going to get down to that. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, around the 13th verse, it says that the Lord is faithful and good to us and that he will give us a way out of the temptation, that he will allow us to endure it until we get through it. Yeah, I know we get tempted. Sometimes we get tempted to want to do the wrong thing, like pop off on somebody or maybe start a fight or maybe not talk to someone because they did something we don't like or to push people away or to just do something crazy. I get it. We're human. That's our our natural human response. But the spiritual response that God is instilling in us as we keep walking with him is to really just turn the other cheek. We offend God every single day. From the time we wake up to the time we go to sleep, we offend him. I'm saved. I know a lot of my brothers and sisters that are really saved, but we offend God day and night. And that's not because we want to. It's because this, this thing right here. But because God is so good and the the status of our heart, the statute of the heart isn't to offend God, but it's to please him. Father, I, I did it again. And I don't know why I did it. Because sometimes we have those moments where it's, I really don't know why, except that I know that sin still lives in me. That's why sanctification is a lifelong process. And unless we continually allow the Lord to identify and point out what's wrong, then we're going to stay in the same place. But because God is good and because the law of love beats the law of temptation, because his love, which covers a multitude of faults, which is the reason why we're still here today. It's the same reason why when you feel tempted, if you get that urge in, in your in your members, as the Bible says, to want to go do something you know you shouldn't be doing, then you can fight it through the love of Jesus. If you've had a rough day and your answer is to drink or smoke it away to try and make yourself feel good. Well, guess what? The answer is Jesus. If your answer and I'm talking about me, especially right now, is to sometimes pick this up for way longer than you know you should because you have other things to do then the answer is Jesus, because I don't need to escape from the problem to, to get away from it, to feel okay. Instead, I can look at the problem in its eyes and I can give it to my God and he can put it underneath his thumb because there is nothing that the enemy could ever try to use against you or me that would ever prevail because that's what Jesus said. And everything my master says, I can take that to the bank and expect to come out with way more than I even had hopes for. The Bible even says that whatever we ask or think that he will do exceedingly abundantly above that because he's just that good. So then in first John chapter two, verses 15 through 17 and Matthew chapter six, verses 22 through 24. The Bible says, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the father in you. For the world offers only a craving. You hear that? It's a craving. It's the thing that makes the, the rash spread for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions as if we've actually done anything or if the stuff we own really has any value. These are not from the father but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But, and but in the Bible has the same power as the word if. But he 
who does the will of God abides forever, which means you will live in his presence. You will live with him, with his majesty, his glory, his dominion and his power for eternity. And then in Matthew chapter six, Jesus says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one, uh, let, let's, let's say that again. No one, not just the select few people, not just the saved people, but no one can serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, and mammon being money, possessions, fame, status, or whatever is valued more than the Lord. See, here's the thing about God being a keeper of his word. Not only is he a keeper of his word to make sure it actually uh, comes to pass, but he's also a performer of his word, making sure that it will come to pass and that the effects of the word actually take place. The Lord says that if you love him and you love him with all your heart, mind and soul, then guess what? You're you're good. If you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he came down in a body like ours to die for our sins and that we messed up and we're wrong, we're saved and sanctified and set for heaven. And that sanctification process is now what we're doing once we get saved in order to walk a more sober lifestyle. That means that I'm not inherently practicing to sin. Instead, I'm practicing to not sin as much until God takes me on home to where I get my glorified body like his. And then there is no more evil, lustful desires lurking within me because they're all gone. And now there is no more sin. And there's just joy and happiness and peace and love and kindness and gentleness and every other fruit of the spirit that the Bible talks about. But see, if I if I enjoy what this world has too much and that's not saying you can't enjoy a good sports game or enjoy time with your friends or enjoy video games like I do. It's when your joy turns into idolic infatuation, when this becomes your God, when your friends become your God, when money, something that we almost trade our lives for becomes our God. That's where the problems come into play. See, there is a, a very fine line between real love and worldly love. And that fine line, his name is Jesus. When I didn't really know the Lord like I do now, when I said I loved something, you could misconstrue it all day long and you would be right. We say that we love stuff like I love to play video games. I love to spend time with my family and friends. I love chicken alfredo for instance but that same love doesn't equate to the love that says i love my mother i love my father i love my grandparents i love my family my friends i love the lord though that kind of love has a different weight to it because my love for video games is very fickle i could play for hours on end and then not want to play it all for months on end because that's not the kind of love that 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 that's the real love but that's just this this fickle you know what i really like it a lot so i'm gonna say i love it but see godly love is an agape love it's a love that knows no bounds no limits it it just says that i love you simply because i love you and because i have this love for you 
I'm going to show it to you. I'm not just going to say it, but I'm going to show you how much I love you. I'm going to sacrifice my only begotten son, my firstborn. I'm going to give him up for you because if I don't, then you can't be free. But that's how much I love you. The, the Bible tells us what love is. It's patient. It's kind. It, it doesn't bear a record of how many times it's been wrong. It understands all things. It searches out hope in all things because it's simply there to provide and to protect. So when we talk about God's love, when we talk about what real love is, it's not what people can do for me because everything that we have, as we learned last week, belongs to the Lord. The earth, everything in it and the people thereof all belong to him. He made us. And not only did he make us, but he bought us back for a high, 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 high price. One that we could never match up to. But because God is good and he's not a loan shark, he doesn't want anything crazy in return. He just wants us to love him. He wants our heart. He doesn't want our heart to be tied up in Jimmy down the street or in, uh, or in whoever, you know. He doesn't want our love to be tied up in money something that we could easily rip up, something that we assign value to. At one point, the American dollar was on top. Now, I believe it's the euro. And that shows you how fickle money is, how fickle the value of gold or silver or whatever else is. But what isn't fickle, what doesn't fade, what doesn't deteriorate, what doesn't mold or mildew or rust is God's love for you and for me. And if we would embrace his love, then guess what? The things of this world, you start to realize, Father, yeah, I have responsibilities. I have needs. I have wants. And I know that you will meet them. But me giving my life to this corporation or to this world for favors, quote unquote, that isn't going to cut it. And that's how I used to try to live my life before I really knew God. I would try to get in with people thinking that it would take me somewhere. But then I realized, you know what? The same people who said they loved me were the first ones to turn on me at the drop of a dime. But when I tried out Jesus for myself and things got bad, guess who was there? Him. When I didn't know what else to do or who to turn to, guess who was there? The Lord. When I was on the brink of mental insanity, guess who was right there for me to piece me back together and make me better than I ever was? Jesus. But I couldn't find one of my fake friends out there to help me do anything. Instead, when the dust cleared, I had my God and I had everyone who calls on his name just as much as I do. And those are the family members that the Lord speaks of. When they asked him, well, when they told him, Jesus, master, your, your brothers and sisters are outside. And he said, well, who is my family except those that do the will of God? And you may be asking, well, what does this have to do with temptation? Let me tell you. Since love beats temptation, if I am accountable for my relationship with my father and vice versa, then that means that I can be accountable for my sins. I don't have to let them run rampant. And why is that? Because when Jesus rose on that third day, he rose with the power of life and death in the palm of his hand. Everything that there is, that there was, and that will be was now put back into subjugation unto the Lord of hosts. And because of that, when he imbued his Holy Spirit inside of you and me and the rest of our big family, 
He said, now go forth and baptize the nation in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And because we call on the name Jesus, the only name by which men should be saved, because we have that divine authority that he's given us, because now we have been given the right and the opportunity to become sons and daughters of God, I no longer have to give into this. Romans chapter 6, around the... 20th verse, I believe it's somewhere in the 20s. It says that while we were still slaves to sin, we had no obligation to do what was right. And what did that lead us to? It led us into being ashamed of the things we did. And then in chapter seven, as we read, the law is pointed out not as wrong, but as being the identifier of what is wrong and that the wrong is inside of us, that we're the wrong. But the answer to the wrong is the right. And his name is Jesus. And then we get to Romans chapter eight, around the 12th verse. It says now that we are free from sin. Because of Jesus, we are free from the obligation to do what is wrong. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 23. The Bible says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit not let you, not let Tom, not let Pastor, not let uh, self-help books, not let these crazy and strange religious and theologic things lead your life, but let the Holy Spirit guide your lives then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit, the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But, and remember that carries the same weight as if in the Bible, but when you are directed by the spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild party or orgies, as some uh, translations of the Bible says, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the Holy Spirit, not Buddha, not Allah, not Vishnu, not that dragon statue, not uh, Muhammad, but when the Holy Spirit, because he's the only one that can do it, produces this kind of fruit in our lives, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. I want to make it very plain again, just how utterly useless we are without God. Jesus, several times over in many lessons now, makes it very clear that he is the vine and his father is the gardener or the vine dresser or the husbandman or the groomman, and that we are the branches and that unless we're connected to the source, unless we have a direct path of nutrients, just like the baby has the umbilical cord and is fed from whatever the mother consumes, unless we have that direct connection to the Lord and his name is Jesus, unless we have that, y'all, we are dead. We have no strength. 
We have no wisdom. We have no nothing. We're just dead and waiting to go die permanently. But when we're taken out of that death state, when we are resuscitated and not just resuscitated, but when we are literally made brand new, when we are given new life, not refurbished life, not some uh, off brand life, not some on sale life, but when we are given new life, then we are connected to the source. And when we are connected to him, we are good because we are pruned and severed by the word that Jesus has implanted in our hearts. And because of that, our father who loves us dearly, because he's looking at the same love that Jesus shown when he shed his blood for you and for me on Calvary. When that blood stained banner is on our hearts and on our minds and certainly on our spirits, he prunes us. He puts us back in the fire to knock off some more of what this thing wants, to give us more of what he desires so that we can live a more perfect and sober lifestyle. We are told to be holy because our father is holy. That doesn't mean we're going to get it right 100 percent of the time because no one, none of us can. Only the Lord could because he was, is, and always will be God. But because we have him, because we have a connection, I now have something to strive for. And because I have something to strive for, I can have the same ambition that the Lord gave the first of our brothers and sisters. And that's to go forth, to be bold and courageous, to fight off self-temptation, to help others fight off temptation, to Throw the lasso of truth like Wonder Woman has and throw it around those vile imaginations and those strongholds and to rip the walls down, to break them in the mighty name of Jesus. Because our Lord God, he is the Lord mighty in battle, not just strong, but mighty. And as Jesus said, who can beat God? If God is for us, then who can be against us? What can be against us? Nothing. So if Satan can't be against us because God stands for us, surely temptation can't. Then we look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 18. And the Bible says a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, which is Jesus himself, because he is the sword, the one that is the dual edged weapon of righteousness that cuts between flesh and bone between the marrow, between the spirit, and which shows us exactly what our heart is really all about. Pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So not only has God given us a way out, not only has God 
made a way out of nowhere. Not only does he equip us, not only does he prepare us, not only does he make everything plain for us, but now that deterrent, that defense system I was telling us about, not only do we have the Holy Spirit who teaches, who trains, who listens, who allows us to see, who imbues us with all the divine spiritual qualities of our Father, not only is he there for that purpose, but now we're given some body armor to put on. Yes, I am empowered and strengthened by the Lord. And not only that, but he too has also given me a weapon to fight with. He's given me a shield to, to block whatever my enemy may be trying to do. And he's given me body armor so that when the weapons of the enemy try to attack me, they can't prevail because I'm protected. They bounce off my chest plate. He may try to hit me in the head, but they bounce off my heel. He may try to cut my Achilles so that I can't walk anymore. But guess what? I have on some boots to protect me. He may try to do whatever he can to to get me off the path of righteousness. But because I'm protected from head to toe in the body armor of God and I have my faith blocking everything that 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 the lies that he tries to tell me and I have Jesus himself as my weapon to cut down everything that the enemy sends my way including my own temptation the thing that tries to mess me up the most me we mess ourselves up the most so if you want to blame anybody blame yourself because where do temptations come from from inside of you but because god is greater and because the two the two-edged sword of the word cuts between the flesh and the marrow because it cuts between the spirit and what our heart is really about guess what what happens when you have a wound you can either give it some time to heal or you can make it worse. Well, because the sword's job is to cut through and to detach the evil, the wickedness or the rotting flesh, just like when we get amp just like when people get amputations, because the Lord is amputating the evil or the old seeds of iniquity out of my heart. He is now replacing them with his soothing balm, which is his word to heal me, to need me, to fix me and to make me better than I've ever been because the Lord knows the plans that he has for you and for me. And it's not to throw a pity party. It's not to keep falling to the same sin day after day, year after year, but it is to rise up, to be better, to overcome, to be the conqueror, to be more than the conqueror, to be the child of God and that beacon of light, to be that mirror that reflects so that it can refract off of someone else. That's what God has placed us here for. And we all do it in different capacities. But because we're part of the same unilateral body or the family of faith, we all serve one purpose. And that's to help other people actually see. That's to lead the blind into getting that corrective laser eye surgery so they can really see. That's to give those who can't see color because they're colorblind and allow them to see just how beautiful the world is. And I'm not talking about this world that tries to lead us away. I'm talking about the world of life inside of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If it's not about Jesus, then what is it about? Because nothing besides him can give you fulfillment, can give you what you need, can certainly not give you what you want. Because we get new stuff at, at a whim and we just throw it away at a moment's notice because it wasn't what we really thought we wanted. But see, with Jesus, I have all that more. Though things may go wrong in the night sometimes because I know my God is there and he watches over me and that when 
sometimes temptuous things are put in my sight. It's not him, but it's the enemy trying to pull something out of me to drag me away. But because my God is there, he shows me a way out of it and then a way to endure it. And the endurance or that patience that the Bible talks about, because it's an action word. I'm patiently waiting on his word. I'm patiently serving him. I'm patiently doing whatever the last thing he told me to do. I'm patiently praying. I'm patiently crying out to him because I know the same God that saved me from this world that saved me from me is the same God that's going to take me through and over into my promise. He's the same God that's going to make sure that a lot of these temptations that I may be plagued with today because the Bible says he'll make sure they're not more than you can bear. That's the same God that's going to make sure that those temptations will one day be null and void because I've walked this walk with him and I've allowed him to feed me and I've allowed him to to sift all the, the bad out and to put more good in so that as I grow in stature with the Lord, that I'm no longer a baby having to be told a billion things over and over again or having to be picked up so that I don't stick a fork in the, in the, in the socket and electrocute myself. Instead, I've been taught and trained and my eyes are real good because I'm not depending on my eyes. I'm depending on the spirit's glasses to show me what's wrong, who I talk to when I don't know what's right or wrong and who I depend on for everything else. Second Corinthians chapter two verse 11, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, um, 1 Corinthians 10, chapter 12 through 13. I'll put that on screen. And we talked about this a little bit earlier. The Bible says, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. And I'll explain that in a little bit. 2 Timothy says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true. What is true? the world can't do that, but God has to do it to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaching and teaches us what uh, to do, what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And first Corinthians 10 says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. I'm not always faithful, but God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. It says that God will show you a way out. You can't find it, but God will show you. That self-help book can't show you, but God will show you. Uh, these crazy religions that a lot of them don't even make sense when you really, if you would really just look at it, they can't help you. But God, whose name is Jesus, Yahweh, the eternal covenant name between his people and him. When you serve the, the, the true Lord, the only living God, the only wise God, as the Bible says, then he will show you a way out. Because the second Corinthians 2.11 says, we're not ignorant of what Satan tries to use against us because there's nothing new underneath the sun, also in the Bible, but that everything is being used in a loop over and over and over again. The only difference is how it's presented. We now have the internet. 
which is wonderful and terrible at the same time. We are more connected than we've ever been, but we're also more apart than we ever will be as far as my knowledge goes. But see, here's the thing. Sin is sin. It's all around us. But because of the Internet, it's now more easily accessible, especially when it comes to to lustful pleasures. Porn, for instance, the thing that I used to be plagued with. Uh, However many years ago, there was no Internet. So, of course, if you wanted to do something crazy, you had to know someone or you just had to go do it. But now you can do it from the comfort of your home. See how see how the the enemy thinks? He's like, you know what? If they're not going to go out there and do it, then I'll just bring it to them. But on the flip side, we have the Lord. You know what? We're in a pandemic. They can't go to church. And a lot of people, for them, that's kind of a good thing because they were worshiping the church and not the Lord. There's that temptation part. We're not supposed to worship anything else but the Lord. And he usually does something to get his people's attention and to help us. uh, You know what? Uh, Everybody else, if y'all don't know him, please get to know him because he's doing something. He's saying something. I, I He's showing us something. Please look. Please listen. Please be aware. So here's the thing. Because God loves us and he doesn't want us to be ignorant, he equips us with everything that we need, just like we talked about. He gives us all that we need. He gives us on-the-job training. He teaches us. He corrects us. He rebukes us if need be because he's a loving parent. And because he's a loving parent, he prepares us to deal with this world and the people of it. We're supposed to go out here with love on the brain, with love on the heart, to help spread the gospel out of love. Not me to condemn you because I'm no better than you are. If I call you out on having an issue with something, well, where are my issues? They're right there. But because the the Lord himself said, you treat others how you want to be treated. If I bring the word to you in love, I'm showing you, look, this is what God is really about. He's not those naysayers that claim to be his children and bash you. He's not the one that goes to war over the word. Because they're just going to war over their own selfish gains. That's all the crusades were, if you look it up. But see, our God, our God is a loving God. And yes, he's also a God of of justness and and of mercy and vengeance. Yes, those are all him. He's not just a good God, but he's also a just God. So that means that actions have to have their consequences. And as we've talked about in other Bible studies, he will repay everybody back according to their heart and their actions. So what I'm telling you is, is don't get to know the vengeful God. Don't get to know the God of wrath. Don't get to know the God that is just and that will pay you back accordingly. I'm telling you, get to know the God that says, come to me, all you who are weary and heaven laden, and I will give you rest. I'm telling you to get to know the God who brought out an entire country of people out of captivation and slavery. I'm telling you to get the God who gave sight to the blind, who healed the sick, who killed incurable diseases at the time. The God that literally rose and still raises people from the dead. We call it the Lazarus effect because guess what? It was Lazarus as the first one. Get to know that God. Don't get to know the one who isn't going to tell you, well done, my good and faithful servant. Get, Get to know that God, the one who 
who gives you the hug, who welcomes you into the kingdom. Because what may feel good now, I promise you, speaking from experience, it doesn't do anything good for you. The first thing it does is mess up your thought process. And then from there, it makes you go do crazy things because now you have a case of I can't help it. And now just like you see cats do or dogs do, you're scratching your whole body on a post hoping that the itch goes away. But all sin does is make the scratch, the itchiness get worse. And then before you know it, you're held up in the ER. And just like the doctors do on Grey's Anatomy or in real life, time of death. Don't don't do that. And we finish off in Hebrews chapter two, verses 14 through 19 and Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. The Bible says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the son also became flesh and blood for only a human being could he die and only by for only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death emphasis on had only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying we also know that the son did not come to help angels he came to help the descendants of abraham Therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could. Then Jesus could. Again, not Buddha, not Allah, not Vishnu, not Muhammad, not the dragon statue, uh, not little Bo Peep, but only Jesus could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we are being tested. And then Hebrews chapter four says, so then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. I lost my child. God couldn't understand. He gave up Jesus for you and for me. Uh, they, they did me wrong. I'm so mad. We tick God off every day. I, I, I said that earlier. I, he doesn't understand. I'm, I'm sick. I'm weak. I'm lowly. I'm lonely. Read, read one of the four Gospels. He, Jesus was always going through something. The Bible literally describes him as a man of many sorrows. But because he was, not only do we serve an, an omnipotent, omniscient, omnipotent God who knows all, sees all, and is everywhere all at once, but he literally went through it too. So he's not just relating from the point of, baby, I know because I have infinite wisdom, but baby, I know because I went through it too. When I walked a mile in your shoes so that I could save you from you, so that I could buy you back from the enemy, that loan shark you sold yourself out to and was indebted to forever because I took back the power of death. And now you don't have to fear it because like I said, oh, death, where's thy victory? Oh, grave, where's thy sting? Or vice versa, I get them confused sometimes. That's on me. But the point is, it's that we literally live for Christ and to die is to gain because I'm going home. 
I'm not going to be tortured. I'm going in my father's presence. As Jesus said, I'm going to where my father is. And one day, whenever, whenever that may be, I'm going to where he is. I don't have to fear death because there's nothing to fear anymore. He took the sting away. He took the fear away. He took all the trappings that Satan would use to tell a lie about it away. And now I know the truth and the truth set me free. And because my great high priest, my Lord and Savior, my heavenly father knows everything that I go through, went through it and didn't make a billion mistakes like I do. He can help me out and he can help you, too. So as we end out, let me remind you, you serve a God who not only knows it all, but has been through it all, too. And he loves you so much that he sacrificed himself, his only son. He sacrificed him for you and for me so that we wouldn't have to face the consequences of the loan shark. We don't have to be a part of the crab bucket. Just like a crab boil, you take all of them and you put them in the same place and you burn them up until there's nothing left. You don't have to be in the crab bucket. You don't have to be the 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 bad branch that's withered and wilted. That's just tied together, waiting to be thrown into the fire because that's all it's good for. Instead, you can be the plant that has been growing beautifully, that's been pruned, that's producing fruit, that helps other people when they're hungry, when they're thirsty, and when they don't know what else to do. Because it's not you, but it's all God. So Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer saying thank you, Lord. We thank you that no matter what temptations we face, that you have a way out for us, that you have strength to help us endure, that you're the rock that we can lean on when we don't know what else to do, Father. That in the midst of it, no matter how thirsty or parched we are, that you're right there to not only give us the water, but that you yourself are the water, Lord. Because just like the woman by the well, you told her that the woman, that the water I give will have you quenching for thirst no more. So, Father, give us your water. Give us your food, the manna from heaven, which is your word, Heavenly Father. It's not the actual manna like the children of Israel ate, but it is your word showered down straight from the throne of grace and mercy to help heal, to help fix, to help correct, to help rebuke, to help reprove. It's the, it's the very substance of life that we need to exist. And because we have you, Lord, and because though physically, we may not be with you right now. Spiritually, we are with you always because your spirit and our spirit are one if we've accepted you. And because of that, God, we can overcome every and anything that this world would try to throw at us. Because like you said, to fear not because you've overcome this world for us. So, Father, when we're riddled with temptations, when we're riddled with the bad thoughts of wanting to do the wrong thing, all we have to do is turn to you, not turn to the world's answers, not turn to our answers, because all they're going to do is get us into even more trouble. But we turn to you, O oh Lord, and we'll be a-okay. So, Father, as you just continue to minister to us, I ask that you would grant us your peace and your wisdom so that even though when things get crazy, like this crazy pandemic that we're in, that we're still in, that all we have to do is look to you because 
though people are dropping like wildflowers, though people are getting sick, though things are still bad, we have the utmost hope and confidence that in the same way you brought the children of Israel out when you sent the plagues, that even though the plagues were right there next to them, they weren't affected. And God, none of your beloved are affected. Yes, there are some people who you may have chosen to take home via COVID, but they weren't affected unto damnation, Lord. Instead, they were just taken on home because their mansion was ready. So, Father, for those who don't have enough hope, I ask that you would give them hope because hope is the very substance of our faith. It's the evidence of things that we haven't yet seen, and it's the confidence that we know it's going to come forth so father we love you we thank you for all that you've done for all that you're doing and for all that you're going to do and we know that according to the our father prayer that you will lead us away from every temptation because as first corinthians 10 says you have a way out and a way to endure and you are that way so as we continue to follow you lord who is the way, the truth, and the life and light of this world, we can take utmost confidence in saying that we've already won because victory was yours before the foundation of the world was laid. And it's more evident as we keep pushing toward the end. So, Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we'll be sure to give your name all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory, which you so rightly deserve. It's these things we thank you for in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Hey, family. I pray the lesson has blessed you in some way, shape, form, or fashion today. Each week, we hold Bible study on Zoom, and it would be wonderful to share this experience with you. If something was said that resonated with you and you aren't a part of the family, I would like to open the invitation to join. I pray that the Lord blesses you in all of your endeavors and that you chase after the prize, which is Jesus. See you next week, God willing and be blessed.